It's good to see all of you here this morning. I know the weather isn't the nicest, but uh, we're here. And every day of that is one less day to go until we get to the sunshine. And then later on, July, and it's hot and muggy, and, and we complain about that a little bit. But My text this morning is in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through, verse, through chapter 4, verse 1. Philippians 3, 17, beginning, going through 4, 1. Brethren, be followers of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, and who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. If we put a title on today's lesson, we would say, On the earth, but not of the earth. We're all on the earth, but we're not of the earth. We're not a part of that. We're spectators, and we get drawn in sometimes, but we're a part of the kingdom of heaven. We're a part of the kingdom of God. We are citizens in the kingdom of God. And so we want our focus to be on spiritual things as much as possible and worldly things as little as possible. We ask the question, where, where are you right now? Look around. Look, look all around you. What do you see? Touch something with your hand. It's easy to find a songbook or a Bible. Touch something with your hand. This is the world that we live in. This is the world that we experience with our five senses. This is the world with which we're familiar you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you see a reflection. And we call that, that's me in the mirror. Well, that's a reflection of my physical body in the mirror. But the mirror can't take me out of this body and reflect it. When God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, he became a living soul. You have a soul dwelling inside this body. Paul refers to this body as an earthly tabernacle. It's it's a it's a building uh, that's not that's not going to be here for eternity. It'll be changed into something eternal. This is the world that holds the attention of the majority of its inhabitants. Satan's behind all of that, of course. He knows just how to set the lighting and dangle the the shiny stuff and get people interested in a fad or something that's going on and happening. Many times it's things that aren't good for people. One of the greatest challenges we face is to be at the same time, be earth-based, but heaven-bound. We're sitting here on the earth, but we're heaven-bound. 
And we don't ever want to forget that. Not for a moment. Not for a day. Not for an hour. We are heaven bound. You know, when uh, Nehemiah was challenged by the, uh, the neighbors to quit building on the, the wall of Jerusalem and to come and meet with them, he sent a message back to them. He says, I, I can't come down and visit with you. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. We cannot stoop to the level of the world, although sometimes we find ourselves doing that. We cannot stoop to a, a level that is below Christ, beneath Christ, because we are heaven-bound. We must choose to remain heaven-bound and not become engulfed in the things in this world. We're in the world, but we don't want to be of the world. We're in a constant struggle between the here and now and the there and then. And we need to get focused on the there and then in heaven. You know, we've never been there. We can't actually see. We read in the Bible, we get some descriptions that say it's like this, but a like is a comparison. So the comparison is for our benefit because we're, we're in an earthly body. But we need to be paying attention to the there and then. In this lesson... We'll make a contrast between those who mind earthly things, Philippians 3.19, and those whose citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 2.20. There is a question that each of us must face, and the question is this. Is my mind set on earthly things or on heavenly things? Is my mind on the earthly or on the heavenly? What do I think about more than anything? What becomes more important to me, the earthly or the heavenly? As Christians, we should be so concerned about the eternal, so concerned about the heavenly, that when we look around us and we have close friends or family members or, or anyone that has not obeyed the gospel, we want them to go to heaven with us. We want them to be there for eternity with us. We want them always with us. And the only way that can happen is to be with Christ. So is my mind on earthly things right now, or is it set on heavenly things? Well, there's a pattern to acknowledge. In Philippians 3.17, Paul said, Brethren, be followers of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. A lot of times you read this, it says, it says uh, watch, watch those around you and don't be imitators of them. But the Apostle Paul is saying, look and see how I walk and how I behave, and look and see who else is behaving that way, and you choose those people to imitate, because they're imitating the Lord Jesus. We want to imitate people who are imitators of Christ. We don't want to imitate people who end up being their own God, their own little idol on a pedestal. They were to be imitators together. This was something they were to do together, and we still are to do that together. The New King James and the English Standard Version have this phrase. It's uh, the phrase, join in. Join in. Paul says this is something you can join in on. Be followers of me and mark people who follow what I'm teaching you. And when he says followers of me, he's talking about the gospel of Christ. 
because he refers to his gospel. It's Christ's gospel. Paul knows that. And he wants people to follow him as, in as much as he's following Christ. Or join in. They were to join together in following. If you're following alone, it's a lonely road. It's a hard road. The more we have on that road with us, joining us on that road to heaven, the more joyful it's going to be here and the more joyful it's going to be there. We have the example of the Apostle Paul, and he, he was pointing at his example in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. He says very plainly, be ye followers of me, and he didn't stop there. He said, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So in other words, Paul says, if you see something I'm doing and I'm not following Christ, don't you imitate that. But he said, I'm going to strive to imitate Christ. So you be a follower of me the way that I'm a follower of Christ. Paul has already said that nothing was as important, as important to him as Christ. In Philippians 3, 7 through 11, in verse 11, uh, he says, uh, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ Jesus. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made comparable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul says there's some things I want, I want to happen in my life. Verse 10, and this is after he said, that anything that doesn't have to do with Christ is, is not worth much to him. It's like manure. He says, I count everything but loss. Uh, I, I, count, I count it like dung so that I can win Christ. He pushes anything in his life that's in the way out of the way so that uh, he can win Christ. And then he lists the things. He says, I want to be found in him. But... Uh, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ. Paul realized that he could never live perfect. He's got to imitate Christ. He's got to be in Christ. He's got to behave the way Christ would have him to behave. So verse 10, he tells us just how, how he wants to become acquainted with Christ. He says, I want to know him. In other words, I want to know who Jesus is. Well, the only way we're going to find out who Jesus is is when we open the Bible and we read about it and we meditate upon it and we apply it to our lives. I want to know him and I want to know the power of his resurrection. Paul knew that had to be a mighty powerful resurrection because he knows that Christ was in the tomb and he knows that Christ spoke to him on the road to Damascus and he knows that he spent time with Christ over a period of three years while he was learning what he needed. So Paul wanted to know Christ, and he wants to know the power of his resurrection, and he says, in the fellowship of his suffering. We don't always want the fellowship of the suffering of Christ. And sometimes we find ourselves avoiding things that may bring suffering. 
but we need to follow Christ through thick and thin. We need to be made comfortable into his death because we want to attain to the resurrection of the dead just as Christ was resurrected. Paul wants his readers to imitate his attitude toward Christ. So he wrote to the Corinthians and he wrote to the, to the Philippians and now he's writing to us through those letters because those letters were not dated and over. They were written to carry the church up to the coming of Christ. It's to carry us into eternity. Paul says we can follow the example of fellow Christians if they're following the example of Christ. Now when you see somebody that's violating God's word, then you, you mark them. But otherwise, you can. it's okay, he says, to imitate something, we must see it. And so in the English Standard Version, he says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So when we read about Paul in the New Testament and we read about his example, we can sort of put our eyes upon him, not literally, but figuratively. Uh, the word walk in our current context has reference to how one lives. Paul was writing about their walk. It's how they lived. First John 1, 7, John said, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His Son cleanseth us from all sin. If you walk, if your life is lived in the light, following Christ in the light, His blood keeps cleaning you up after you become a Christian. And Philippians 3.17 highlights the importance of having good examples and being good examples. Within the church, we need good examples. Within the church, we need to be a good example not only for those younger than us, but for those who are babes in Christ as they come into the church. So Paul says there are some people you need to avoid. In Philippians 3, verses 18 and 19, he says, For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping. He said, I, I, it brings tears to my eyes. Many people obey the gospel, and then they become enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, he says, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. For every good example, there are many bad examples. So whenever you are looking at a good example, take that good example and compare it with the Word of God. And if it fits, if it fits the pattern, then you, you can imitate. But if, if you find it doesn't fit the pattern... If you find it's more like this other group that Paul wrote about, uh, they're all wrapped up in themselves and they're the enemy of the cross uh, rather than the defender of the faith, then you don't want to imitate those people. Paul, having just exhorted his readers to follow good examples, he warns them not to follow bad examples. The world is full of bad examples. And I would never encourage our young people to let the heroes of the world be the examples that they follow. Because the world has this conniving way of letting heroes do things that are immoral and indecent or saying things that they ought not to say. The Bible is full of heroes and uh, men and women who were heroes of the faith and who stayed faithful until death.
So we need to make a specific application here. Who was he telling them to avoid? Well, the enemies of the cross. And for those people, the Judaizing teachers were the enemies of the cross. They wanted to teach something different other than what Paul had taught. Uh, Galatians 2.21, uh, they were enemies of the cross. Galatians 5.4, he continues to talk about their end will be destruction because they're enemies of the cross. When you oppose Jesus and his teachings, you become an enemy of the cross. I could be a preacher of the gospel. And if I started teaching you that something is, is okay, oh, that's okay, I would become an enemy of the cross. If as a teacher in the body of Christ, I started fellowshipping and rubbing shoulders with a body or an individual, it could be an individual or a whole body of people who are not teaching what the Bible teaches, then I become an enemy of the cross of Christ. So if, we, if our congregation were to start mingling with the denominational world as if they're brothers and sisters in Christ, we would be violating the word of God. We would become enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul says those who are enemies of the cross of Christ mind earthly things. He says their God is their belly. He's no, he doesn't mean everything evil uh, comes through their belly. He, he said just like uh, some people think that uh, uh, they need this material thing and that material thing and that material thing. The basics become their God. It's no longer I need this. It's I want this and I want this and I want this. How concerned was Paul with this? He wept about it. He cried about it. When you see a Christian that's being led into the world, we need to cry about it. We need to shed tears. If you see a whole body of Christians being led into the world, we need to cry about it. We need to shed tears. And we need to pray about it. Sadly, there are many enemies of the cross of Christ today. One is an enemy of the cross who... Uh, Violates 2 John chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. 2 John chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. First two words. Whosoever transgresseth. Whosoever means anybody. Transgress means to go beyond. Go beyond. Whosoever transgresseth. Whoever goes beyond and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If I begin to teach from the, the Bible class or from the pulpit lessons that go beyond what the Bible teaches or fall short of it, then I become an enemy of the cross of Christ. And then it's time that I be marked as a false teacher. In verse 10, in verse 11, he gets real specific. Paul says, or John says, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. When you encourage a false teacher, you partake in their evil deeds. We need to know God's word well enough to know the difference between true and false. And the false teacher teaches false doctrine. And we could ask the question, are, is this guy teaching false doctrine? Is this guy worldly? 
Is this guy not dedicated to Christians? And if you find someone who is not dedicated, who is wrapped up in the world, who teaches things that oppose Christ and his teachings, then you know you've run into a false teacher. Paul gives, gives us a purpose to achieve. Philippians 3, 20 through uh, 4.1, which we read at the beginning, Paul desires for the Philippians and for us, uh, his desire can be summed up in the words that he wrote to the church in Rome. As we read these different letters to different churches, they become very, very important because they're written to us too. So he wrote to the Philippians, he wrote to the Corinthians, he wrote to Rome, and he, he wrote to us in all of these letters. And so in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul very plainly says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to the world. It's like, you can go through Paul's teachings and he teaches about putting off, but you have to put something on in its place or you, you will uh, go right back to your old ways. And he says, don't be conformed to the world. And how do you keep from being formed, conformed to the world? By being transformed by the word. The more I read the Bible, the more I study the Bible, the more I fellowship in the word of God, the less room there is for the world in there. He says, you be transformed. Transforms means go through a change. You be transformed. How? By renewing your mind. How? Through the word of God. So we're conformed to the world, but we're transformed by the word. And why do we want to do this? So that we can prove out the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. And how will we be proving it? Because as we learn it, we'll be practicing it. And our life will be proof of God's word. To the uh, Christians in Colossae, chapter 3 and verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 2. Colossians 3, 2, Paul says, Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. So I have to ask myself this morning, where is my affection? Is it on what's above or is it on here? Is my mind all wrapped up in something somewhere else? Or is my mind all wrapped up in Jesus? Paul desired that they have a heavenly priority. He desired the same for us. A heavenly priority, a heavenly place. Verse 20 in uh, Philippians 3. For your citizenship is in heaven. I'm going to say it again. Your citizenship is in heaven. So that means we have a dual citizenship. Because yes, on the earth, we're citizens of the United States of America. But I'll tell you what. The first one is more important. The kingdom of heaven is more important. And when this world comes to an end and the worldly kingdoms cease, the heavenly kingdom will continue through eternity. And I can't tell you how long eternity is because it has no length. God is eternal, no beginning and no end. We, we are not eternal in this life. We are fi uh, finite. We're not infinite. He's infinite. We're finite, we're material, we're physical. And this, this earthly tabernacle wears out. Trust me, I can tell you by experience, it wears out. And the older we get, they're not going to give you a, a fountain of youth placebo or a fountain of youth real shot that's going to work on you. Nothing will make us young again physically. But I'll tell you what, 
You become young again when you're born into the body of Christ. You become young again when you're born into the family of God because you start out day one as a babe in Christ and the more you learn about the will of God, you get stronger and then you go on to eat the meat within His Word and you grow up in Him. So Paul says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Paul desired that they have this heavenly place. In Hebrews 11 verse 13, in writing about the people in the roll call of faith, uh, the Hebrew writer says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We sing that in a lot of our songs. We're pilgrims on this earth. We're strangers. We're passing through. My favorite word is sojourners. Just like Abraham was a sojourner in the land of Canaan, we are sojourners here. It's temporary. Did Abraham have to feed his family? Yes. Did he have to have a place to live? Yes. But when he wandered around sojourning, he wandered around building altars to God, always putting God first in his life and in the life of his family. So he died in faith, and he could see those promises afar off, and he could embrace them, and he was persuaded by them. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. He's talking to us. Peter says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. Satan's got a war going on with us, and he only has one objective in it, to destroy me, to destroy you. He knows his destruction is imminent. He wants to take us to where he's going, and we don't have to let that happen. There's a song we're all familiar with, This World Is Not My Home. Well, we need to realize that and not just sing it. Paul wanted these people to set their minds uh, on that. He wanted them to become <coughs> heavenly people. We need to be heavenly persons wandering the earth. In uh, verse 20, he says, Whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Philippians chapter, chapter 2, verse 20. We wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to focus our hearts on Jesus and eagerly look for his coming. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. <coughs> why do we know the way? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we read in the Bible about him, and, and he gives us the sign directions that we need to know which way to go. And the best direction to point is like this. We give the glory to God and we work toward heaven. Uh, we want to be a heavenly group of people, a heavenly person with a heavenly purpose. When the Lord returns, amazing things will occur, one of which is described in our present context. In Philippians 3, 20 part B to 21, the first part, 
Paul said, the Lord Jesus Christ who shall fashion anew the body of our humiliation or lowly body that it may be conformed to the body of his glory. At the Lord's coming, our earthly bodies will be transformed into a spiritual body like the one the Lord has. After his resurrection, uh, at first he wouldn't let them touch him, but later he did. But he was changed after that resurrection. If we're still alive when the Lord returns, we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If we're not still alive when the Lord returns, we'll be living right on the other side in the spiritual realm, and we, we will know our fate at that point. But we need to be ready. We need to be heavenly people with a heavenly purpose. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, the Apostle John said, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear... We shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. The point is this. Why do you want to center your attention on the flesh when the flesh is going to be changed? Our hearts must be set on heavenly purpose. That heavenly purpose is the transformation that God is going to put us through. I think most people would think that a, a, a butterfly coming out of a cocoon is a beautiful sight and quite a transformation. That cocoon, sometimes they look nice and sometimes they don't. But the butterfly is always beautiful. God is going to take us in this earthly tabernacle that, well, we look in the mirror, we think we look pretty good, but we're in an earthly tabernacle. He's going to get, give us something eternal. He's going to give us the best of the best. He's going to give us something beautiful. Our hearts must also be set on a heavenly purpose. And if our hearts on us are not set on a heavenly purpose, then we won't be focused on being transformed. And we have to realize that there's a heavenly power. Is Christ capable of the dramatic change that we just discussed, that Paul discussed? According to uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, Paul says, According to the working whereby he is able even to subject all things unto himself. Can Christ change it? Yeah, he sure can. Because in Colossians, Paul says, all things were made by him and for him. The word working uh, in this uh, verse 21 comes from the Greek word energia, and it literally means a power in action. So, Christ will come according to a power in action, whereby he is able even to subject all things to himself. How much power does Jesus have? Well, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, just before he ascended into heaven, he looked down, he spoke to his disciples, and he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Because God's kingdom is located in heaven, but now the church, which is a part of it, is located on earth. And Jesus said, All power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And after you baptize them, you do what? You teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. In Ephesians 1.22, Paul says, he, God hath put all things under his feet, that's Christ, and gave him, that's Christ, to be the head over all things to the church. Christ is the head of the church. 
And I'll make this one side statement while we're there. Have you ever seen a head with more than one body? The answer is no. We all have one body and we have one head. Christ is the head of one body. Christ is the head of the church. The body is one. The church is one. He's not the head of all several thousand denominations out there that are invented by men because we have to do it God's way and not our way. In Hebrews 1.3, the writer says, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. How did he do all this? He did it all by his power. Philippians 3.21, he can subdue all things into himself. This is to be another focus of ours, his heavenly power. And then finally, we need to focus on a heavenly precept. If he, uh, Philippians 4 and verse 1, there the uh, Apostle Paul writes two words, stand fast. Stand fast in the pa path that he has just described. What will enable us to stand fast? We must stand fast in Christ. Before you take a stand, look and see where your feet are planted. If they're planted in the wrong place, you must take your stand in Christ. You must walk in the light as he is in the light, and the blood of Jesus will continue to cleanse you. So we will not take a stand in error. We will not take a stand in our own personal wants, but in the strength of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, as he wrote to another church, but writing yet to all, to the entire church, one way we are able to stand in the strength of the Lord is to set our minds on things above. Keeping our minds on heavenly things. All things are destined to perish. Everything in this building, I don't know, a hundred years from now probably won't be here. All things are destined to perish. Colossians 2.22, Paul said, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and the doctrines of men. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul said, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, temporary. But the things which are not seen, your soul, you can't look in the mirror and see it. You see the body, it's temporary. Your soul, you can't see it in the mirror. It's eternal. We don't look at the things that are are not, uh, we for the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Jesus brings it real close to home because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so he said, beginning in verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. You want to pile up the treasure here that the thief can break in? You know, this building got broken into more than once in a 12-month time, and they, they took a, a TV set, and they took a, a refrigerator, and they took a PA system. Those are material things they're carrying off. It's not going to benefit them. I think they ended up with a couple of Bibles. I hope and pray that they read them, because they can get some benefit there. 
So we don't want to lay our treasures up on earth. Do we have to live on earth? Yes. Do we provide? Yes. But our treasure is in heaven, and we want to be ready to go there. So where then should we set our minds? On heaven. On the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We may be earth-based, but we need to determine to be heaven-bound. There is nothing on this earth that can keep you from being heaven-bound. Though all the world forsake me and Satan tempt me sore, even if the world comes down in persecution upon you, they can't prevent you from being heaven-bound. They can never take it away from you. The only one that can cause the loss of being heaven-bound is me with my own poor choice. I need to make the right choices. I need to be focused on the cross. I need to be focused on heaven. I want to be heaven-bound. If you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, you need to repent of your sins, confess Christ, be buried with him in baptism, be raised to walk a new creature, be heaven-bound. If you're a believer and you made that commitment but you didn't live up to it, you need to get your focus off the world and on to the cross. You need to get your focus off the world and into heaven. Whatever your need is, will you come this morning while together we stand and sing?